we enter on into a, a, a sermon, a message that um, I, I, w- I would venture to say that we need to think about more often than we already do. Um, and uh, the title obviously on the screen is Blessed is the Man Whom, righteous, whom God Credits Righteousness. Uh, now I've been tasked with uh, preaching this lesson, uh, which is in regards to the whole chapter of chapter 4, so I'm going to do my very best, okay? I'm going to do my very best. 25 verses. Uh, we'll, see. we'll see how he does. Uh, but before we get started, I, I just want to, I guess, express some thankfulness and gratitude for our men who get up here and lead service, uh, parts of service. Um, thank you, uh, guys, for willing to, to, be, um, to be taught, to serve. We are blessed, are we not? We are blessed. And in this chapter, we think about one of the greatest blessings. But this blessing is something we can't necessarily see with our eyes or touch with our hands. It's something that's a little more abstract. It's spiritual. Because when we think about what the Bible says, he says in verse number 7 of this chapter, hopefully you have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 4, listen to this Old Testament passage that's referred to. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. You know, there's a lot of people who um, ha- give their reasoning for, for their, their blessings. Um, you ever ask somebody how their day is doing, and they say, well, I'm blessed. And, and if we were to follow up that question with, what do you mean by blessed? Explain to me how you're blessed. You know, some of us, um, and, and I understand why, some of the first reasons or proofs or evidence for our being blessed consists of things like cars and homes and jobs and health and, and, and the physical things. And, and again, those aren't bad. But if physical things are the first things that pop into your mind when you think of as you are a blessed person, this is the perfect chapter for us to consider. Because he's going to talk about beyond any physical blessing is that of righteousness that's given to us on Jesus' behalf. He's going to say that no blessing can compare to those that are a result of Jesus' sacrifice. And that's what we get to consider this morning. And, and uh, as we utilize these slides here, um, I, I figure I'd print it out for you, and you can follow along and jot notes there. Uh, but there's a few graphs in here, which is the reason that I printed it out for you, so that you can utilize some of these graphs to help you as you study on through. But just a few, uh, a, a few points before we kind of get into uh, the heart of the message is, number one, that Paul is going to explore two means as to how somebody acquires righteousness. Okay, and we'll talk about some definitions in just a bit. But for somebody who is unrighteous to achieve righteousness, there's basically two ways in which somebody can accomplish that in Paul's mind. Number one is through their works. And this word for works that Paul is able to utilize is an attempt to earn salvation the way one earns his paycheck, okay? So for those who are paid um, hourly wages, I want you to think about every, however often that is that you get paid, every two weeks on a Friday, and you know what's waiting for you. Now, before the days of direct deposit, you had to literally wait for you to be handed your check, right? Now, I want you to think about the Friday comes, and that's payday, 
Everybody knows it's your payday, especially your wife or your parents. You know, they just have that down on the calendar. And today's the day and you receive your check. And I want you to ask you, do you fall down at the feet of your boss saying, thank you. Thank you. I'm so blessed that this is the amount of money. Do we do that with our bosses? Yeah. <laughs> no, why not? Because we've earned this. Give me my check. I deserve it. I put, I put in this many hours. Well, that's one way, according to Paul, that one can attain righteousness before God. Because when I get my paycheck, there is no favor bestowed because really that's what I earn. That's what I deserve. That's method one. Method number two, Paul says one can achieve righteousness because of their faith. Now, when he uses this word faith, it means basically somebody's recognized in their mind, in their heart, that I cannot live perfectly. I, I, I acknowledge that I'm a sinful person, and therefore that person will willingly throw themselves before the mercy, God, mercy seat of God. That, that, that's, that's basically somebody's putting his or her trust or their confidence in the blood of Christ. It's a plan, I love this, available to all people. And so those are the two means in which somebody can attain righteousness. Obviously, number one is through our works. And all of chapter one and chapter two, and chapter, especially in chapter three, Paul's going to say that if you are going to go through this checklist mentality of, I'm going to work or earn my way to heaven, he says basically it's impossible. Every, everybody sins. Everybody falls short. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. And as a result, they are not worthy of the glory of God. And so obviously then, we're left to ask ourselves, what does he mean by faith? Now a few definitions for us when we think about this chapter and what words it uses. Number one is faith. Now, what's really neat is the first two words, faith and believe, are from the same root Greek word. The same Greek word, uh, the root of that is, is pistuo. Now, we have two ways in which that's, um, in, in that's uh, going to be seen in our words, in our Bibles. So, the, thank you, Josh. The noun form of that word, it means trust. It's, an, it's confidence. It's, it's an actual thing. And, and in our, um, in our junior high and high school class this morning, we talked about this, that faith is, 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 is something that can be seen. It can be shared. It can be rubbed off on. It can be utilized through to God's glory. Well, the same word is also utilized and translated in this chapter, well, I guess all of your Bibles, as believe or trust, as the verb form. So faith in motion is where we get the word believe or trust. So if you think I've really utilized the same definition from faith and just plugged it right into believe, so really believe or trust means to trust in. It means to have confidence in. It means to be fully assured of. Everybody go to chapter 4 and verse 21 of this chapter where Paul is going to give us a definition of what he means by faith. He says that Abraham was fully assured that what God had promised, God was able to perform. So if you want a definition from the Bible itself, that's the definition of faith. It's to be fully assured of something. It's, it's to be fully assured of 
something that God has promised to you and I. Now, the thing with faith is sometimes it's not always obvious, is it? Can you think of your life sometimes where faith was demonstrated and and you may look in yourself and say, man, I, I don't feel bulletproof right now. I don't feel I can walk through brick walls. I feel like I'm just hanging on. Well, as long as you're still confident, not in yourself, but God, then faith is still there. And so sometimes it's a little tricky, but Paul's going to say that Abraham is ultimately going to be our our test case. He's going to be our example. But number two, after we talk about faith and belief, we also have righteousness and justify. You're going to see that over and over. um, If you haven't already, this was part of our key word list before we began the book. But if you would just work through this chapter and you would use a color for each one of those words you'll be able to see this chapter a lot differently and it'll help you with understanding how this thread of words helps us to understand what exactly Paul is talking about. And so if you remember how faith and believe also have the same Greek root word, so is the case with righteousness and justify. The difference is one is referred to as a noun and the other is a verb. So as a noun, righteousness, it means uprightness. It means It's the results of being justified. And so how does one become righteous? That process is called justification. Justify, a verb, is to declare righteous. Or if I can borrow from this definition, it's the process of being made righteous. Now, don't get lost in these words. I hope that I've I've kind of made it a little more simple for us. But the, the next word here, credit or reckon, which is pretty neat, it occurs 10 times in this chapter, is an accounting word. It's an accounting word that means to credit to one's account. And so if we could take all of these keywords and put it into some kind of uh, sentence, it gives us the summary of the entire chapter of Romans chapter 4. And that is that God credits righteousness to those who believe in Jesus' work and are thereby justified by their work, by their, by, sorry, by their faith. They are justified by their faith. And so I figured that would help us out as we kind of work through some of these uh, passages um, because what he's going to say, starting in verse number, uh, verse number 10, read with me, when he says, how then was it credited, this justification, this person that's, that's, that's made righteous, He says, how then was it credited while Abraham was circumcised? Or was he uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but were uncircumcised. What that means is some of the Jews there in Rome were were thinking that the observation of the law of Moses, that's how one achieved righteousness, to be made right with God. And Paul says, no, if you go all the way back to the father, Abraham, at what point did God declare him righteous? Was it before or after he obeyed the institution of the law, which is circumcision? Well, it was before, several years before. Now, this right here, this statement would have been mind-blowing to a Jew to make this connection to say, so what what is circumcision then? And he's going to explain what that is. But righteousness is not attained by somebody's uh, perfection of law-keeping. So the graph up here, or the chart, shows us our condition, which I think is fascinating. 
What is our spiritual condition when we remove Christ from the equation? Which unfortunately is most folks today. Well, he says basically if you think about a credit and debit in the accounting world, you think about when we sin, think about our lives as a log. When one sins, the Bible says they deserve or they earn death. Spiritual death, that, that's just what we earn, that's what we deserve. And so if we were to look at somebody without Christ, this would be what their spiritual log would look like. Just sin. Now, now some folks would think wrongly that if I do a good, I remove a bad, which is not how things work. <laughs> and so many people think, well, if I do enough good, not only I'll take away all of the, the debit or what's held against me, but... I could, in, in a sense, receive some of God's grace and mercy. Well, is that true? Paul's going to say in this chapter that all of sin, all of this debt, has got to be paid for. But not only that, when you sin, the wages, what we earn, is eternal, let, eternal death. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. Therefore, there is no righteousness in this account. Look at verse number 2. Verse number two, he says, For if Abraham was made right or justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say, again referring to Genesis 15 and verse number six, that Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, that is somebody who's working to receive salvation, he says, but believes in uh, his wage is not credited as a favor, but as what is due. So if, I, if I'm relying on, on what kind of uh, things that I do, if I'm relying on my abilities and capabilities, he says, then anything you do right, he says, that's just going to the cost of what, 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 the, uh, what sin gives me, which is death. And he says in verse number five, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. And so I want us to stop and think now that as we go around and we tell people about God, who is God? What's he like? I've found that one of the passages that I'm going to bring up now is Romans chapter 4 in verse number 5, where he says, that God is a God who justifies the ungodly. Wow. Because what the ungodly deserve is spiritual death, but that's not who God is. God is a God of, of compassion and mercy, and He's willingly sacrificing His Son so that this is not the case. On the contrary, what's the spiritual condition with somebody that has Christ? Well, he says, think about this log now where we want to crude sin after sin after sin, and without any, any blood from God, from His Son, that's going to be held against us. But not only does, does God give His Son, and the blood of His Son is going to be that spiritual sacrifice to take care of the debt, that's one thing, and that's amazing. But part two is, He's also going to credit to us righteousness. But not our righteousness, because we don't have any. Whose righteousness is God going to give to those? 
his own. Did you catch that? He wipes away the debt. He forgives the debt. How? By the blood of Christ. Afterwards, he credits righteousness, that of his own. That of his own. You know, there's, there's a time when I remember my first few years, I, I attended ASU, um, and I remember, like it was yesterday, how broke I was as a young college student. Does anybody remember those days? You know, but interestingly enough, they were fun. Like those days, you had to scrap and you had to figure out how you're going to get by. But I guess coming from the res, you know, I was kind of used to that. I hate to say that, but it was, you know, it was just, it was fun. I'm in the city and uh, how am I going to get from, from here to there? Well, I'm going to find a way to ride the bus, get to know the system. Um, what am I going to eat today? I, I'm not sure until scholarship money comes in. I'm kind of just getting by. And, and I remember those days. Well, I know every once in a while I would check my Wells Fargo bank account. And every so often there would be money in there. And I know who did that because there's really only one person that ever asked for my bank information. That was grandma. And so every once in a while, and guess who, know, guess who knew when her payday was? So every day on my calendar, I said, Grandma's payday. I had a big old money sign. And I would check my bank account, and lo and behold, there was money in there. Now, that was a great day. That great day, I would go out and get something, get a nice meal. You know, I would, get, I would go out and watch a movie. I would do something fun because... Grandma had credited into my account funds for me to use. Now take that same concept and think about spiritually speaking, we are all bankrupt. We are all bankrupt. Matter of fact, the, the, what we deserve, what we've earned is spiritual death. That's what we've earned. But God sacrifices His Son and those who accept that gift, they not only receive the removal of all of their debt, but God's going to credit into their account His righteousness. You need a reason to praise God today? Right here. Right here. God does not record sin on this account because there is none. God is going to also credit, or some of our Bibles may say reckon. That's the same word here. He's going to credit or reckon His righteousness into His account, into, into our account. Now, I heard a preacher say this once, and it's just stuck with me ever since. He says, because of the gift of Jesus, the Father looks at the cross, and He sees me, because that's where Jesus died for my sin. God looks to the cross, and He sees me, and He looks at me and sees His Son. <laughs> that's this in a nutshell. Because of all that God has done on His behalf, with me having nothing to do with it, God looks at the cross and sees Evan. And he looks at Evan and sees Jesus. Now, Evan did nothing to deserve that. Simply but putting my faith in the work that Jesus did, all that was required. Does that make sense? And so, we think about what marvelous um, teaching this gives us. And what he's going to do is he's going to take somebody all the way back to one of the great examples of this, and that is Father Abraham. Genesis 15 and verse number 6 is the passage that's referred to over and over and over. If you look at chapter 4 and verse number 3, 
this verse is referred to. You drop down to uh, verse number 7 and 8. He's going to refer to David in Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. But you go down again to verse number 17. Verse 17, he also refers to this again when he says, A father of many nations, I've made you. That's the same passage. Go down to verse number 18. He says, uh, at the end of verse 18, so your descendants, sh so shall your descendants be. That's a reference to Genesis 15 and verse 5. All of this context involves Abraham. So he's going to use Abraham as a prime example as to what he means by Abraham being justified by his faith. So when we think about Abraham, he's going to, again, I, I've, got to, I've got to kind of summarize some of this, but he basically says in verse number Oh, let's go to verse 18. Read with me in chapter 4 and verse 18. He says, In hope against hope, Abraham, Abraham believed, so that he might become a father of many nations, according to that which had been spoken. So here's the promise God gives Abraham. Now, is that a mighty promise? Absolutely, especially if you're in this time and this culture. Your lineage was everything to you. Your name being passed down to another male was everything to you. Well, here's the problem. He says in verse number 19, without becoming weak in faith, what does Abraham do? <laughs> I hear your promise, God, but I'm looking at myself and basically what's his, what his, what's his realization? He said he's thinking about his own body. He says he even thought of his own body as now as good as dead. Why? Because about 100 years old is where Abraham finds himself when God makes this promise. About a hundred years old, and God makes this promise. And he says, not only that, but you look to his wife Sarah, and not only is she just as old, but she's, she's always been barren. She has never had the ability to have children, so you think the odds are stacked against them? So they have God's promise here, and they have the reality. Abraham is a great example of faith because instead of clinging to his reality, here's all the things that make it hard for this promise to be held on. Here's all of the cons. Here's all of my worries. Here's all of my pains. Here's all of the, the times in which I kind of uh, I question God. He does not cling to this. He clings to the promise of God. I don't know how he's going to do it, but because God is faithful, he's going to accomplish this. So, about 99 years old, Abraham find himself, finds himself. Sarah, also, well, a little bit younger, but she has always been barren. And so you have this, this, uh, these doubts. But we cannot take away that God has promised him a lineage. So how in the world is God going to accomplish this? When we see verse 18, where the Bible says, in hope against hope, that Abraham believed in order that he might become a father to many nations. I want to stop here. There's two kinds of people, I think, if we can overgeneralize and categorize. You've got people who look at themselves, and if you're like me, there's a lot of reasons to doubt things, because here's what you and I see. You and I see Evan is undeserving. Evan is full of sin. Evan struggles beyond his ability to, to rise above. I'm a mess. I'm hopeless. 
Now, while that may be true, where does the Bible encourage us to take our minds? Instead of burying ourselves here in our guilt, in our sins, feeling overwhelmed by all the things I can't do, the Bible's going to encourage us to think about what God can and has done. Does that make sense? So my encouragement to you this morning is stop trusting in yourself and start trusting in God. Stop trusting in yourself to be a perfect person because that's unattainable, but trust in God who is loving and merciful and follow Him. As a father, this is something that I know I'm growing up and developing. Is am I treating and raising my children to be disciples of Evan, or am I raising and training my children to be disciples of Jesus? Because I can't save my children. I could give everything, and I would. But Evan can't save anybody. I raise them up, teaching them that their trust ought to be in Jesus. So when I do fail in my leadership and my example, they can have grace with me, but continue to look to the Lord that I'm trying to emulate. Amen? And so who are you following? And what are you focused in on? Because if this is not my focus, but this is, it's easy to become overwhelmed, is it not? It's easy to become overburdened by, by how bad of a person I am, but the Christian rejoices because a sacrifice was given that can take away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God has come, John the Baptist says, to take away the sin of the world. That's the gospel message. And so when we think about what that means, Abraham, he's struggling because he says, that's a promise, and I see that, God, but here's the reality of things. Here's the reality. Well, what is his response? I love this. In chapter 20 and 21, I want you, if you're a Bible marker, he's going to give a list. And you guys know I love lists. I'm drooling here. What is, God, uh, what is Abraham's response to God's promise? Instead of focusing on all the realities and the doubts, says, number one, yet, res with, yet with respect to the promise of God, number one, he did what? He did not waver in unbelief. He did not forget the promise of God that stayed with Abraham all the way through. Number two, as a result, he grew strong in faith. So that tells us something about faith itself, that faith doesn't stay the same, or I should say it ought not stay the same. Faith ought to be growing and maturing and passed on, and rubbed off on, and encouraged to other people, because that's what the Bible says about his faith. He says it grew. Number three, he says, as a result, what does he do? He gives glory to God. Instead of thinking about all the worries of the world, praise God. Praise Him. You wonder what worship will do for you? You wonder what studying your Bible will do for you? It takes your mind off of what you can't do and puts it on what God has done. That's what all this does for us. And how that impacts our faith is unimaginable. It says number four, and as a result, again, our biblical definition of what faith is, verse 21, and being fully assured 
that what God had promised, God was able to perform. What God has promised, God has the ability to perform. Those four steps for us, church, this could be our daily checklist. Does anybody do checklists? Am I the only one? If it's not written down, I could, I could even use Alexa and use my phone, but it's something about writing down things and crossing that thing out when you finish. You know, there's just so much, it just feels so good. Well, instead of making a side just alongside of our grocery list, how about we put this up on our refrigerators? How about we put these in our phone for us? As soon as we wake up, we're reminded about, man, I need to add my faith today. Uh, I need to grow in my faith today. I need to give glory to God. You know, I'm focusing too much on all the things that are going wrong, and I need to stop and give glory to God. That's what today is all about. And so I love Abraham as the example. So when we think about his faith, what prompted it? The power of the promise of God. It's the God who gave him the promise. How did Abraham's faith work? It encouraged him to things beyond his dreams. It encouraged him to things beyond his dreams. But number three, what did his faith do? It made him righteous by God. So his faith allowed God to credit to him righteousness. And so when we think about Abraham, he is a tremendous, tremendous example for us. How was he justified by faith? When was he justified? Before circumcision, Paul says. This is an argument to the Jews. And why was he justified? Because he obeyed. And so if we can take all of this together, I realize this is not a traditional sermon with three points. You're kind of working through the verse as best we can. But if I can give us just a few points to come away with, this, it's these. Number one, Paul says, to rely on works of law is to never have justification. You, you can never do things perfectly and achieve what is necessary for us to have commun communion or a relationship with God. But number two, that Abraham is the spiritual father of all who believe and trust in Jesus and are justified by their faith. Listen to this. There's a few times where he makes this reference to us. Look at verse number 12. Verse number 12, Paul says, And the father of circumcision, to those who are not only of the circumcision, meaning Jews, but also who do what? Follow in the steps of the faith of our father Abraham. That's all people. We drop down again to verse number 16. He says, for this reason it is by faith, in order that it may be in accordance with grace, so the promise will be guaranteed to who? Just the Jews? No, to all descendants. He ends with, but those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is father to us all. Verse 17, as it is written, the father of many nations, not just Israel, he says, I've made you. Drop down to verse 24. He says, But for our sake, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. And so Paul's point is, Abraham, though your physical lineage 
ancestor is a father to all people who demonstrate the same faith by trusting in the work of God. So if you ever sung the song, Father Abraham has many sons, and many sons have Father Abraham, guess what that's teaching us? That just as Abraham put his faith, his trust in God, that he might receive reconciliation and righteousness, anybody who does the same thing are considered spiritual descendants, spiritual children of Abraham as well. And so as we close up, I want us to hopefully, I hope that this made sense. I prayed over it more than I think I studied over it. This is one of those lessons, Josh. You know, you just, I know the text, but how to communicate the text is a little bit more challenging uh, because there's so many things going on in this text. But put your faith in the work of God and work of God and not in ourselves. And how do you do that? The Bible says you hear the gospel message. You hear the good news. This is good news, guys. You hear it and it convicts you. It does something to your heart. It convicts you to the point where you say, man, I'm not right with God and I need to do something. I need to to give my life. The Bible says that's called repentance. I'm changing my life. I'm giving it over to God. And then you confess, confess him as Lord that I'm ready to make Jesus the king of my life. Evan has been king of his life for far too long and look where it's led him. Here. Maybe I can try giving God a try. You confess that, and the Bible says that then somebody takes you and puts you in a watery grave. Just as Jesus died, he was buried, so is the believer that follows through faith. They're buried in water, baptism, and then they're raised up a new creation. That water is where we make connection with the blood of Christ, and when we're raised up, we have been justified by his sacrifice. Again, what does justify mean? Just if I'd never sinned. That's how God now looks at me. A newborn baby, pure and holy. Why? Because I have Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and Him in me. God is now in me. And that's how I'm credited as righteous. Praise God for that, right? Praise God. If there's anybody here who has not done that, man, I would would really just, just beg of you to give us a chance to study with you. Let let us talk about this. If you are a Christian and you just feel that you have not been putting your trust in God lately, if you've kind of gone off and done your own thing, you started to trust in your own works and your own abilities, this is the perfect time for us to gather around one another and encourage us to get back to Jesus. That's what this opportunity is for you and me. So as Reggie comes and leads our final song, Let's all stand. I, feel, I think we do a lot. Of, I think our singing is better when we sing, when we stand. I think that's just me. But if this opportunity is for you, please come as we stand and we sing our invitation song.